Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turned to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer I'm joined by Kristen Williams, senior lit teacher, physical therapist extraordinaire, and one of my dearest friends. Yay! Yay! And I'm joined by Laura Hyman. That's yoga right. Yoga pioneer and PP <laughs> extraordinaire herself, the original yoga mama. Here she yes. is. Woo! <laughs> love it. Oh, I love that. We're going to have to do that every time. All right. Launching right in. This is from Marion. She emailed me. Hi, Laura. I was wondering why in some poses you instruct to let your head hang. For instance, in a low lunge with a twist with the arm up, I don't feel any benefit from it, nor does it bother me. I have also seen you instructed in other poses, and I'm curious to know what the function is. Thanks for your answer and keep up the amazing work you do. Uh, that's a great question. So I'll just launch right in, Marianne. Um, we, in in our lifestyle today, are our head is a big problem. <laughs> and in particular, the way it sits on top of our neck. So 
many people's head is not centered over that very top cervical vertebra, which is C1. It's like, it's called the Atlas and your head sits on it. And when it's balanced there, then all the muscles that attach to the skull are feeling really nice. They're balanced and there's not any problems. And we aren't necessarily um, programmed or biased to use our necks for things like balancing ourselves. However, most people do not have their head balanced well on their atlas. We know this as the modern day forward neck. I'm sure it's actually been around for a while. Forward head, it's gotten worse with the text necking, which is when it's like slid forward and then the chin is out uh, to align to looking at your device. So then your head is not in an in a balanced position, your skull is not. And so the muscles are kind of clinging on to the skull uh, because your skull and your brain are quite heavy compared to the muscles of your neck, which are little. And they are shortened and some of them are shortened. Some in the front are, are lengthened and weak. And there's just an imbalance there. And the ones that are shortened chronically are also kind of positionally ready to fire because they're in this kind of shortened state. And we are also visual. So our eyeballs are in our skull. We tend to do a lot with our eyes. And when our head is off-centered, we, we do a lot. That makes it such that when our core muscles of our, of our trunk are not necessarily as strong as we'd like them to be, or they might be strong, who knows, but we often have seen as, as PTs and as, as yoga teachers, people use their neck for a lot more than they should be. All right. So they will try and use their neck and twisted crescent and low lunge are a perfect example. I can't tell you the number of people when they were looking up at the ceiling and I said, can you just relax the neck? And they did that and they almost fell over. So that tells me two things. A, they were using their vision and they were using their neck to actually hold them in place instead of the rest of this long torso that has a lot of great core muscles there. So my first intention when I started telling people to relax their neck was to get them out of the habit of straining and looking up at the ceiling, which if you think about it in many positions, including that one is reinforcing that forward head position. Kind of you look and then you lift up and it's kind of that you're, uh, protracting your skull and then you're turning it and itch. And then, then you're just holding yourself up with these muscles and, and you might be holding a little bit in the core, but it's been, I, I can tell you a lot of people have lost their balance because they were holding themselves up their neck. So that was my original intention. But the second one is also, it's a wonder grab, wonderful gravitational stretch for these muscles of the neck, your scalenes, your sternocleidomastoid, some of these muscles that are really, really quite shortened because of our chronic um, position. So if you, if it didn't feel like it was a benefit to you, you might be a lucky one that doesn't have any major neck um, muscular imbalance. Um, and if it didn't bother you either, I would try it because once you start even trying to lift your head up uh, to not let it relax, you're, you're using some of those muscles that are already used, being used so much of the day. You, you won't believe it, but people are using their neck muscles, even if they're slouching around because their, their skull is off center. So I hope that answered your question. I'm sure KB, you can add on to that. 
I, I, I mean, I just would echo everything that you said, said, and I just, to your point, just give those poor neck muscles a break. That's why I do it. I think we, yeah. we hold so much tension in those muscles throughout our day. Let's get on our mat and give them a chance to just release. And also to kind of let go of that, um, traditional yoga approach of the, you have to look up at the sky to do something more spiritual, you know, you know, you can really get into your body. I think a lot better by just releasing the neck, you can get into your scapula better. You know, you can pay more attention to what's happening there, which is where we're really weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, in a lot of cases you can get into the side body better. You can get into the pelvis by just letting that neck go, um, so for me, it's just like a feel good thing. Same thing with warrior two, like just to let it go. And that rather than looking over the, um, you know, the gaze over the middle finger, blah, blah, blah. Now I do have a, I just actually made a class up last week that I taught where I was focusing on cervical range of motion. So I had in one, you know, one time we turned and looked over that because that was my purpose. Let's see how far can you turn? Mm-hmm. Or we were doing you know, active lifting of the, of the side of the head as a way to strengthen and just assess and gauge. But that is one class out of a two, three years worth that I never do that because we just spend too much time, too much. We do too much with our neck. We use it when we shouldn't be. Let's give it a break for the hour we're on our mat every day and just it's like a big sigh of relief mm-hmm. and to your point there and this really goes back to this the name of the podcast redefining yoga um when people say well what about the drishti what about i mean we really uh we are so visual and in a way it's giving us an opportunity to really go inward we have our own inner eye and we i don't need to look up at the ceiling when i can actually go inward and feel myself holding to center. And there could be nothing more powerful than that. Um, the, the gaze is just, but one thing, which we're, you know, we're visual, we're doing it anyway. Here's an opportunity to not follow some, um, kind of cookie cutter approach for lack of a better word, because a lot of it, like the drishti is somewhat like cookie cutter in that way. Um, formulaic and actually just use your inner drishti. That's really what drishti is, is, is a, focused gaze. It doesn't say it has to be from your eyes. Why don't you gaze inward to what's happening inside? Are you holding yourself well? Are you just, are you holding your breath? Are you using your breath? Are you, you know, are you struggling? Are you um, feeling that scapula on your back? These are, you know, when we talk a lot about body mechanics and alignment and movement, there could be no better way than getting to know yourself because that's what you're doing is we're giving you specific tools for how to go inward and feel, experience, notice. It's not just this, you know, uh, kind of random, unintentional set of poses that you put together. It's, It's very constructed and guided from a place of alignment, which seemingly seems like it's body oriented, but the body is your vessel. So it's oriented toward all of those connections that are inward and you don't need to look anywhere else to get it. It's right here. So, yeah. All right. Next question is from Zila. Um, So she's also about to do our training or no, she did the training. Sorry. 
And she said, the podcast is one of the ways I'm keeping up to speed on all things anatomy since the training. The question has to do with a private client. Whenever my client is in a three-legged down dog or three-legged dolphin, the hip of the lifted leg will dip drastically. I can't work out where the weakness is. I've tried getting her to engage the glute of the lifted leg. I've also tried cueing that she pushed through the toe mount of her grounded foot, but no matter what, I say the hip of the lifted leg really struggles to get in line. Any ideas? I definitely see this a lot where it is. It's that they get that drop. It's almost like a Trendelenburg gate, that, which is a <laughs> gate that we'll see, um, which is, I do believe it's different muscles that are that, that are weak because of the position of the body. But, you know, when you are, uh, Trendelenburg is when you have a weakness of your gluteus medius. And so the, the pelvis dips sideways when you're standing up. When you're in down dog and your pelvis is, one side is dropping, you know, to hold your pelvis level, you need to have those rotators on. You know, they are they are basically when when you when that opposite side of the lifted leg side uh, leg side of the pelvis drops, it's most likely because you're not activating the weight bearing leg. In it's basically you're internally rotating at that at that leg, so you need to be a little bit externally rotating or tated, depending if you're thinking positional versus movement, um, to maintain a, a level pelvis. So if you imagine this pelvis dropping, you're lengthening out the muscles that attach from the femur to the let's say the sacrum, just to, for all intents and purposes, they're getting longer because they're not shortening, they're not holding. And um, so what do you cue? That is a tough one. Uh, and it's especially hard to do over Zoom or, you know, when getting your hands on somebody is game changer, you know? So I would say, Zena, if you are, Zila, if you are in, is it Zila or Zena? Zila. Zila, mm-hmm. you know, if you are in person, you know, just giving a gentle cue at the weight-bearing side to contract or or hug in can help or giving a little bit of a cue on the non-weight bearing side, the lifted leg side to lift up. Because I see that a lot around the room where, and I don't think it's a, it necessarily, isn't necessarily a weakness. Sometimes it's an unawareness of where you are in space. So they may feel level. We see it in airplane all the time where people will actually have the lifted leg side high mm-hmm. because, and it feels level because it's harder. It's more demand to hold it level. The same thing when you're in three-legged dog, it's an unawareness or kind of a lazy, you sort of sink into the ligaments of the weight-bearing leg as opposed to using the muscles to lift that side of the pelvis up. So, you know, whether you can use a verbal cue of, you know, hugging in on that side, um, you know, might be something I would try, or, I mean, some of us I'll just say, lift that side of the pelvis up, you know, of the lifted leg, lift it up a couple you know, inches, and then ask them, especially if it's a private session, you know, can you feel the difference between now you're leveled? What? Am I really? Yeah. Now you're not. Now you are. So taking people through those two extremes, have them lift up past neutral, have them go back to where they were, and then find that area in the middle. They may just not know where they are in space, which is probably what I, I'm guessing, because they've just sunk into their ligaments for so many years and have never really used those small, deep, you know, core six rotators in there to stabilize the pelvis because they don't do it in life when they're walking around. They don't. So those guys are just on holiday. 
Mm-hmm. So we need to wake them up. And so trying to help her find where that neutral is and then keep drawing her back to it and see, you know, if, if she can retrain it or not. She, yeah. she, she will be able to, but how can you help her? What do you have to say about that, Laura? I think all of that's good. Um, there's a couple of things that come to mind and I'm sure you've already done this, but I would look what's happening down the rest of the body, like what's happening, her shoulders, what's happening, her rib cage. Uh, because if there's like a disconnect of good stabilizing energy that that could affect that top leg, it just gets heavy and it just starts to, you know, drop down because you're not getting any of this upward energy from the floor. So maybe she needs to be on blocks with underneath her hands just to get more lift. If that's the case. The other thing I would do that has been very effective um, is have her do that, but have that top leg push into a wall. So like if she have her do a down dog, uh, one leg is on the floor and the other leg is like basically pushing into the wall. And it just to generate that energy from the ground, from what's now the ground, the floor, uh, the ceiling, not the ceiling, the wall into her leg, into her glutes. And that one the good thing about using one glute, if it's activated, there's usually like a transference that should help the stabilizing leg as well. Um, this will be hard in many ways because A, you're getting the entire posterior chain involved, but you're also getting a lot of you know length there. So it's going to feel like a big stretch and strength at the same time. Uh, but this could be just what she needs. Like to Kristen's point, this just disconnect um, and and just pushing into the wall. She needs some kind of you know, it's when it's up in the air that tells you if she lifts it up and then it starts to plummet, it's there's, she's just not used to having it up there and she needs some energy. So get it into the wall and that can help a lot. I've seen that. I do that in quadruped as well, because I've seen similar things when people are in quadruped and they get the leg up and they just like, everything falls apart and they just need a lot more information and reinforcement and feedback. And so I'll have them do quadruped, extend one leg and push that one foot into the wall and it's like everything just kind of gets more organized. You just need it from there. But the, that free, um, unweighted limb can just feel very disjointed um, in terms of getting all the firing going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jerryman17. Jerryman17. Love your podcast. Wondering why the back of my ribs hurt after lifting heavy weight. I get so sore. I feel like they're bruised. What could I be doing wrong? Hmm. That's a first. I've never heard that. I've never heard that before, personally, in all my yeah. years. Having well, seen- yeah. So back of the ribs after lifting heavy weight. So I, I just immediately am thinking, okay, you're doing something maybe like squats where your torso is over. Maybe not. Maybe you're lifting overhead. Either way, if you're having soreness, in the back of your rib, there's a lot of things that attach around there in, in between there. So it, from what this, that, this amount of information, what I would say is I I'd have to look at your posture. <laughs> I'd have to look at your posture because if you're feeling this in the back of your ribs, um, and you're not saying anything else, uh, that, and there's heavy weight involved there, there's probably something in your mechanics. Either that or the load is too much, or it could be both, right? So we look at A, mechanics, like how do you do something? How is it executed? How are you stabilizing the things that need to be stable and moving the things that need to be moving? You add load to that, 
How do the stabilizers handle that? How do the movers handle that? So I would look at like, how much are you lifting? But the first thing I would look at is what is your form? What are the mechanics? If you're feeling something in the back of your ribs, maybe your ribs are like being pushed forward. All that stuff in the back is being shortened and the load is forward. And it's just everything surrounding the ribs. What you're experiencing is rib pain is both muscular fascia um, and overuse of that area. I mean, that would be my, my first gut instinct is that your form is needs to be assessed. So Jerry, man, you're welcome to always send us a DM um, and let us look at it. But I would also like have a professional and that you, that you're around physical therapist, good athletic trainer, whatever, look at your form. Are you lifting your chin when you're lifting weights? Uh, if, if you're lifting weights overhead, are your ribs popping out? If you're squatting, are your ribs popping out and your pelvis tipping up like a little, you know, tippy bird? Those are things that are all going to compress, especially in the thoracic region, in the ribcage region. Um, and then you add load to that. And, it, and so that soreness you feel in the ribs, it just could be all the surrounding muscles that are being um, compressed and really strained by the load. That'd be my gut. Any other thoughts on that? No, I definitely agree with you that we'd have to see you do it and uh, really try to figure it out. Is it muscle soreness? Is it joint soreness? Is it, uh, you know, are you over moving there? Are you under moving there? Because it's most likely a mechanical issue, Jerry, you know, just something is working too hard because something else is not working. Uh, and it could be the littlest change in your technique could make the biggest amount of relief or to your point, it's just a little too much weight, lower the weight, change the technique might make it harder because you'll be using uh, muscles that maybe you aren't using right now, which is why for whatever reason, the backside of your ribs, whether it's your intercostals, whether it's your lats, you know, whether it's your obliques, whether it's your QL is taking the brunt of your lifting and, and, and it shouldn't be, you know, uh, we, we want to see those bigger muscle groups, those legs, those glutes, those quads, those hamstrings, the core uh, be doing the work. So uh, I personally would love to see a video yeah. of working and yeah. see what, what, what we see. I think in general, anybody who's doing uh, weight training, you know, you're going to have muscle soreness for sure, because you're trying to, you're adding load to build muscle. Uh, but you, yeah, if, you, if it's consistently in the same area, then, then, then look at form. That's just what jumps out at me. Yeah. All right. We got one more quick question today. This is from it's never just Jody. <laughs> I have mild. I never pronounce this right. We've gotten questions about it for Ehlers Dan Danlos. It's that disease of connective tissue, uh, also known as hypermobility, but there's different many forms of it. Orthopedic doctor said no yoga. PT said yes to Pilates and yoga. Thoughts? Well, yes. Um, so there, I, and I've done podcasts on this before with people who specifically have it, and I've worked with people who specifically have it. So there are, um, I understand why the orthopedic says that because as KB is an orthopedic PT and prior to being a yogi, what saw many people who were injured in yoga. So, you know, there's a lot of people who, 
are in this world uh, in PT and in as a doctor who would think yoga is not good for many reasons, right? And especially if you have a connective tissue disorder where you have laxity of the joints, um, nervous the, the nervous system, it has um, maybe some faulty wiring and stuff. So I can't say, if you have mild, I would definitely say our form of yoga would be great for you because I, I have had various people from mild to much more severe who've done it. Because what you have, and this is, would be for anybody with hypermobility in any kind of hypermobility syndrome, true hypermobility, not, you know, syndrome, um, you have laxity and you, and you need stability. So everything you're, you know, this, this happens chronically people, they have like too much mobility and yet they feel really sore. They think they need to stretch that soreness is actually your body craving stability. So yes, you, I think doing yoga Pilates, um, maybe, maybe not. There's some things in Pilates I'm not a big fan of, but, um, anything that's going to work your stabilizers would be great for you is exactly what you need. You need to go into, into your body and limit the in-range motion for sure. Do you want to add any more comments to that? No, I just to you. You said exactly what I was going to say. That I have no doubt why an orthopedic would say that because that was what brought me to, to lit yoga was all the people that I saw who got injured in traditional yoga. And I mean, I I went to my very first traditional yoga class and it was like, oh, okay, now I see why because people are sinking into ligaments left and right. The, the traditional yoga practice is quite passive when it comes to ligament, uh, stability and, um, and quite weak when it comes to proximal strength. And so that's what drew me to lit. So yes, I do think lit yoga is, would be excellent for you because it focuses on proximal strength and stability, which is exactly what someone with EDS needs. Um, really almost, I would argue almost no matter the severity teaching somebody how to find neutral, maintain neutral, not go into their ligamentous end range is beneficial no matter who you are, but especially if you have EDS, you have this hyper hyper mobility where you're already have the cards stacked against you. You you need more than the average person, the benefit of that core, that proximal strength, those small muscles to uh, stabilize what you don't have given to you naturally. Um, yeah. and so, uh, but tr- where traditional yoga is not going to do that. And I agree with you about the Pilates. There are some things in Pilates where they have a long lever arms working. It's going, it, it can act. Now you can have a really good Pilates instructor who, who can, you know, keep an eye on you and make sure that you are stabilizing and not sinking into anything and do great there. So uh, just as with any type of yoga, as with any type of PT, anything, not all practitioners or teachers are created equal. So, um, you know, making sure you're doing the right practice, let yoga, Mm -hmm. have the right Pilates instructor, if you're doing Pilates. um, And I think it can be a real game changer. We've seen it a ton in in our, in our work as. Yeah. And just as a, you know, full disclosure, you could be very frustrated, especially if you've already been in yoga, because yoga is very rewarding for people with um, any type of hyperlexity, because it's like, oh, look, this is so easy for me. 
And all of a sudden we're going to be like, oh no, you're going to actually have to hold it here. And so it might be very frustrating from, from your nervous system, your, your like understanding and the brain mapping, as well as just your own experience. I don't want to say ego, but whatever, like if something came easy to you, it's not going to be easy. If you're doing yoga that feels easy, then that's not the type of yoga you should be doing at all. If you're hypermobile, you want to go into something that is really going to be like challenging your brain, challenging your proximal stability. And it will do that because that's, you know, that is part of the disorder is that you're, um, you, you could go and slide right into motion and you have to actually control motion. So, uh, we're pulling for you lit yoga. This is what it's all about. It's about helping people who are like have the opposite issues, right? We want to get their joints mobile. That is not your issue. You need a lot of stability. So we're here for you. And for anybody else who has questions about this or anything more, make sure you write us on Instagram, direct message us. That's usually the best, laura.hyman or Williams 99 You could also write support at lityoga.com. We get your um, submissions to that address as well. Because this is so fun. We really, we're here for you. We want to support you. And, um, you know, share this with your friends. We really appreciate your support. So please share this, download it. And especially if you have any friends or family that have any kind of similar type questions uh, or situations that we address, we really appreciate you sharing it with them so that everybody feels better. Yay. Get slid up. Thank you, my dear. Love you. Love you too. You're welcome. Bye everyone. As always, we're pulling for you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.